Good morning. It's so good to see all of you. Um, it's wonderful to be with you on the first Sunday of 2022. And it really is a privilege for me to come share the word of God with you this morning. I hope you are uh, as excited as I am uh, about the year and just looking forward to uh, seeing what God is going to do as we journey together um, with him and with one another. So today we're going to be reading from Exodus uh, chapter 33. Uh, please turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be reading from verse 17 through to verse 23. Exodus 33, and we're going to be reading from uh, verse 17 through to verse 33. But before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for this morning. Thank you um, that we are able to gather together on the first Sunday of the year uh, with your people, with one another. Uh, to come give praise and honor to you and to also come hear your word preached. So, Father God, we're so thankful that you have preserved us. You've kept us. Um, you have sustained us. And everything that we have and everything that we do, we owe it to you. So we just want to give you glory this morning and say you are worthy of all the praises. Um, Father God, we um, can't do anything without you. you the one that gives us life. Without you, um, we are dead. And Father God, we want to thank you again for the gift of salvation, that you have saved sinners like us, and uh, you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father God, we're so thankful, uh, very much aware that we could not have saved ourselves, that we were lost, that um, our choices uh, pointed us um, up, away from you. And Father God, you led us back to you, and we're so thankful. So Father God, even as we read your word and as we expound it, Father God, would you help me? Would you help us um, as we uh, sit, sit under the, the, the proclamation of your word? Would you help me, Father God? Would you just use me as, a, as an instrument through which you communicate the truths? Of your word. Father God, may you be with each one of us. Father, um, pray that you prepare our hearts, that you soften our hearts so that we will be receptive to your word. And Father God, not only receptive, but Father God, be able to be obedient and um, also uh, practice your word, walk it um, every single day um, of our lives. Father God, may it not be said of us, these people worship me with their lips. Um, but their hearts are far away from me. But Father God, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus 33, uh, from verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I will... Sorry, let me start. Um, and the Lord said to Moses, 
this very thing that you've spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Verse 20. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The title uh, of my message is A Yearning, A Yearning uh, for God's Glory. A Yearning uh, for God's Glory. Uh, someone mentioned that the glory of God is the grandest of all topics and subjects in the world. The glory of God is the profoundest longing and yearning of our hearts. A.W. Tozer once said, God is looking for men and women in whose hands his glory is safe. God is looking for men and women whose aim and goal will be um, the pursuit and the spread of the glory of God. God's glory is primary, brothers and sisters. It is foundational. Uh, God's glory is supreme. It's not secondary. Um, everything else is secondary to God's glory. God's glory is central, and everything else is peripheral. Yearning for the glory of God is the center of true biblical spirituality. It is the heartbeat of real communication with God. Either we live for the glory of God or we just merely exist at the epicenter of the universe and at the pinnacle of all that exists is the glory of God. The greatest life you could ever live, the greatest life you could ever pursue is living for the glory of God. When life is done here on earth, what will count is whether or not you will have lived for the glory of God. The Westminster um, Confession of Faith, Catechism, is absolutely right um, when it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Indeed, the chief end of man is to um, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Romans 11, uh, 36, we're going through Romans um, in 2021. We have been going through um, Romans. And Romans 11:36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Everything begins with him. It's sustained by him and it exists for him. At the center of existence, brothers and sisters, it is the glory of God. And at the beginning of the new year, we must make up our minds. Are we going to live for the glory of God? Or are we going to merely exist for other things? Will the glory of God be the master passion 
of our hearts? Will it consume all that we do and radiate in our deeds and our speeches? In our jobs, in our ministries, will it, it be the driving force behind uh, our performance? In our studies, will it be the greatest pursuit? In our parenting, will it be the chief end? Will it be the fuel and the engine that drive our relationship, our relationships? In our hearts of hearts, in our minds, will we resolve to live for the glory of God? That's the question brothers and sisters, if you want a life that counts, you have got to make a resolve today. You've got to resolve in your heart that you will live for the glory of God. If you want a life that will echo in to eternity, that will matter in eternity, you've got to resolve to live for the glory of God. And my question is, are you worried, are you weighed down by life's life? Um, life's problems and challenges? Um, um, are you worried about the future, how things will turn out this year and the year beyond this? Are you afraid? Are you overwhelmed by the responsibilities that you carry? Are you uncertain about life? Are you uncertain about the future? Pursue the glory of God. Pursue the glory of God. Are you overwhelmed by single parenting? Worried about whether or not you cope? Are you single worried that time is running out and that you're going to spend the rest of your life alone? Young people, are you under peer group pressure, uh, feeling like you are at crossroads and you don't know which, which decision you're supposed to take, pursue the glory of God? Is it difficult to navigate through life's murky uh, waters, pursue uh, the glory of God? Have you plateaued in your spiritual life, feeling like your spiritual life um, uh, has become mundane? Uh, pursue the glory of God. Have you become lukewarm in your walk with Christ and it feels like you're just going round and round in circles? Um, pursue the glory of God. Are you struggling with sinful habits, feeling like you're stuck and there's no way out of that sinful pattern? Um, pursue the glory of God. Do you, do you want to know uh, uh, your purpose in life? Um, do you want to know what is it that God wants you to do? It starts with the pursuit of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, if we miss the pursuit of the glory of God, we miss the boat completely. We miss the plot completely. If we miss this, we are on the wrong vessel, the wrong uh, train headed the wrong direction. If we miss this, we will live uh, mediocre lives that have a semblance of vitality, but in essence, they're lifeless altogether. If we miss this, our lives will count for nothing. Living for the glory of God must be the master passion of our lives. This must be the heartbeat of what we do every single day. It is the reason for which we exist. It must be our chief end. And this is where we find Moses this morning. Moses endeavoring to pursue the glory of God. But let me give you a bit of context um, regarding what's happening here. What is it that drives 
Moses to pursue the glory of God. Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai. He has been communing with God for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, So he had gone up the mount to receive the law of God. While he's there on top of the mountain, the people of God down in the valley, um, um, they're sinning against God, breaking the very law that Moses is receiving from the Lord. And seeing this, Moses is outraged and filled with righteous anger against the nation of God, Israel. He was distressed, he was appalled that the people had done such a horrible thing in the sight of the Lord. After all, God had just delivered this, these people. Look at what he says in chapter 32, verse 30. You have sinned a great sin. You have sinned a great sin. What have you done? They had made for themselves a golden calf under Aaron. And what does he do? How does he feel? He's filled with righteous anger. And therefore, he smashes the tablet uh, on which the law of God is written. So perhaps for Moses, this is the biggest challenge that he would ever face, leading a nation of Israel who the Lord described as a stiff-necked people, an obstinate uh, people. These people are stubborn and they are difficult to lead. He feels the weight of his call and the enormous responsibility it comes with. He needs the endurance and the patience and the courage to fulfill God's call upon his life. It's as if Moses knew that his future will be challenging. Forty years of travail, sorrow and difficulty through the wilderness to the promised land. He would, he would witness a lot of deaths, um, and I'm sure he was wearied by all um, these troubles. He needed energy, he needed power, he needed his soul to be charged like a battery. So he cries out, please, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He needed, he needed depth, not just shallow, superficial knowledge of God that fades from time to time. He needed the knowledge that was tattooed, engraved in his soul. He needed the grandeur, the beauty, the majesty, and the enormity of who God is. He needed his eyes to be taken off the problems of the world, of the sin-scorched world, of the rebellion of God's people, so that he could feast, he could feast, he could focus on the glories of heaven. So I want us to look at the request. I want us to look at what he requests from the Lord. Verse 18. Moses said, Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. It is in this context that I've just described that Moses prays to God, Show me the glory. And my question this morning, brothers and sisters, is, is this your earnest prayer? Is this something that you are pursuing? Oh, that I will see, I will see and know the glory of God. Lord, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, show me your glory. Of all the things that I could ask for, Lord, all I need is your glory. I want you to show me 
your glory. The insurmountable nature of the journey ahead, the obstinacy of the people of Israel, their rebellion, their weight of, uh, the, the weight of sin of God's people, um, the tasks that Moses was to accomplish. All of this would not require strategy, smarts or intelligence, business or social acumen. They would require the glory of God. They would require the glory of God. That is why Moses is driven to his knees and is begging the Lord. He's, he's beseeching the Lord. Lord, please show me your glory. The word Moses uses, um, translated um, the glory in English, means the weight, the weight, the heaviness. It describes the infinite weightiness of the Lord, of who God is. The glory of Yahweh reflects the totality and substance of his divine attributes, perfections, and essence. It refers to his power and holiness. Here is described the divine character of God. With this word glory, we see holiness. We see the wrath of God, the sovereignty of God, the righteousness of God, the omnipotence, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the steadfast tender mercies, the goodness, the grace, the love. All the attributes of God are expressed in the word glory, glory. So that is why Moses would say, Lord, show me the glory. If I'm going to face all these insurmountable challenges, I need nothing but your glory. And notice that this is not the first time that it's not like Moses had not seen the glory of God. It's not like when he requests of the Lord to see his glory, he's not seen the glory of God before. He's had um, an experience with, with, the, with the Lord. In fact, the Bible says he communicated with, you know, there, there was a face-to-face communication between God and Moses. He had seen the Lord do wonders before. He had had the burning bush experience. He had had the Lord turn his stuff into a serpent, into a snake. Remember, you know, the, 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 the rod or the staff of Moses swallowed all the little snakes um, that all these ma- magicians made. He had witnessed the Lord uh, strike Pharaoh and his people with plagues. He had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. He had witnessed the divine protection, the power of God, the deliverance of God, the provision for the people of Israel. And yet he would still ask, Lord, show me the glory. Lord, show me the glory. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Although I've seen all these wonders, although I've had an encounter with you, I want more. I want more. I want to grow in my knowledge of you. How much more you and I, brothers and sisters, how much more you and I? Is that your prayer today? Show me the glory. Do you want to know the Lord? Do you want to know him fully so that you can worship him in spirit and in truth? Our Christian walk is hard. Being a Christian is very hard. It's very hard. Unless we fill it with the glory of God, the knowledge of God, we are bound to grow faint and weary. This is Moses, Moses' prayer, but it is and must be our prayer as well. I want us to look at the response, the response. 
So the prayer is, please show me the glory. In verse 18, verse 19, we see the, report, the, the response. I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. The response, first, I will make my goodness pass before you. I will make um, my goodness uh, pass before you. It looks like from the text, the goodness of God is the glory of God. And we do know that God is essentially uh, good. God is quintessentially good. He's an exhaustible fountain of goodness. He is the highest good. He's good in creation. He's good in his providences. He's good in his laws and in his decrees. He's good to the children of man. But he's peculiarly good to you and I, his children. The goodness of God is the perfection of God which prompts him to act or to deal bountifully um, and kindly with his creatures. This is the goodness following from who God is, from his essence. It is the uh, beneficence of Yahweh in blessing people, sinners. It encompasses his love, his mercy, his grace, and his patience, his long-suffering Psalm 149 captures this um, aspect very well. Psalm 49, verses 9, 15, and 16. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy, is, his mercy is over all that he has made. 15. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. 16. You open your, your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. And here in um, Exodus 34, we see an example of that, of that goodness. It's, it is God proclaiming his name. God is proclaiming his name. He says, um, Exodus 34, verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with, him, with, with Moses there and proclaimed, um, the name of the Lord, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a good, merciful, uh, uh, let me read again, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, uh, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and, faith, and, and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So here we see the, the goodness of the Lord. We see the mercies, the long-suffering of the Lord. And my question is, is he not good? Has, hasn't the Lord been good 
to us. Um, each one of us sitting here can recount the many deeds of the Lord, um, expressing how He has been good to all of us. I love um, the song, um, it's a hymn, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, if we were to count what God has done for us, I'm sure all of us have got, all of us have so many things to say about the goodness of the Lord. And from this text, it looks like Moses is saying, God is saying, my goodness is my glory. My goodness is my glory. And that is why Moses would pray, I I beseech you, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will show you all my goodness. And notice it's not some of his goodness. It's all of his goodness. One author writes, the goodness of God appeared most illustriously when he sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of, son, of sons, Galatians 4, 4 to 5. It was then that a multitude of the heavenly host praised their maker and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men, Luke 2, 14. But I think there's nowhere uh, else um, that, you know, I think uh, nowhere else do we see the goodness really expressed or actualized or made possible um, except in the bleeding and the agonizing Son of God on the cross. The essence of the goodness of God, our Savior, hanging in the naked flame of the Father's holy and just wrath against our sins, rejected by heaven, rejected by um, uh, earth, rejected by his own Father, and rejected by us. God is good towards sinners. And that is why Moses would say, Lord, show me the glory. Show me your goodness. Show me who you are. Show me who you are. And my question is still, are you pursuing the glory of God or are you pursuing other things? The second thing that we see in God's response is, so in verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. And 19 uh, the Lord says, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Will proclaim um, before you, uh, will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. Will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And you've got to ask, what's in a name? What's in a name? Why are names important? Or why is the name of God important. What's in the name? And I'll say everything. Everything is contained in the name. The names of God in Scripture are various descriptions of his character. So Moses has prayed, please show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will preach, I will proclaim, I will preach my name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Um, And we know that no one proclaims God better than God himself. So here God says, I will proclaim, I will preach about me. I will uh, preach about me. Yahweh will proclaim Yahweh. Yahweh will reveal himself. 
The meaning of Yahweh is explained in Exodus 3:14, which is rendered, I am that I am, or I shall be what I shall be. The name points to the unchangeableness of God, the unchangeableness of God, the fact that God does not change. It does not so much mean that, you know, God does not change in his essence. It means in this context, God does not change in his relation to his nation, Israel. The unchangeableness of God. The name contains the assurance that God will be um, with the people that Moses led the same way that he was with their fathers, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It stresses the covenant faithfulness of God. But who else, who else refers to himself as the I am? Who else does that? Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Jesus used the same phrase, I am, in seven declarations in the Gospel of John I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door um, of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So Jesus here claims, when he's being asked, who are you? He claims to be God. He claims to be God. And you and I know that Jesus is indeed God. Jesus reveals the glory of God. He reveals the glory of the Father. He says elsewhere, if you've seen me, you have seen my Father. I've been with you all this time, and you still ask me, show me the Father. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Uh, Jesus reveals the glory of the Father. Colossians one says, you know, Jesus is the, um, uh, the image of the invisible God. He's the one that reflects who God is. So when we have seen Jesus, when we have studied the revelation of Jesus in Scripture, we are experiencing the glory of God. What a privilege it is. We are unlike Moses. We see something of a fuller revelation of God that Moses did not have the privilege to witness. We have the glory of God displayed in the in the Son. He is our Emmanuel. God is with us. What do we see? The third thing that we see is um, verse um, Please show me your glory, verse uh, verse 18. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim proclaim before you my name, the the, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So we see here, um, God says, I will proclaim, I will will show mercy to, um, I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy um, on whom I will show mercy. We see um, the sovereignty of God here. We see the sovereignty of God. In fact, we as we studied um, 
um, God's election um, of Israel in Romans um, 9, we see uh, Paul quote um, this, um, this, very, uh, this very verse um, um, referring to God's election of his nation, um, Israel. So we see that the glory of God is revealed in his goodness, in his name, and we see now that the glory of God is revealed in his sovereignty. I used to struggle a lot with, with sovereignty. Um, I remember, I think I must have been eight or nine. Um, uh, it was me and my mother at home. I don't know where the rest of the family uh, was, but we, we were sitting in the kitchen. I remember she was, she was making food. And I don't know why we spoke about what we spoke about, but I ended up asking her, how do I know, how do I know that I'll go to heaven? And my mother said something like, I mean, I don't know if she said that exactly, but I remember her saying, you know, the Lord knows those who are his. And I just struggled with that. You know, I just struggled with that because my question was, how do I know that I'm, I'm his? How do I know? And I think that sort of um, <laughs> started me off on a journey of anxiety because I sort of uh, gravitated to uh, oscillated between sin and repentance, sin and repentance. You know, I'll sin and I'll be like, but I'm going, to, I'm going to hell, so let me be a good person and try to be a good person, but I could not be a good person. I'll sin and so it was just back and forth, back and forth, and I was just paralyzed with anxiety. I struggled with the fact that God was sovereign over salvation. I wanted to take the salvation of man, my salvation, into my own hands. So the sovereignty of God was not comforting to me. And it's not comforting for a lot of people today because they want to be in control of their salvation. But think about it, brothers and sisters. Would we choose him? Would we choose him? Sin is very enticing. Sin is enjoyable when you're indulging it. Sin is nice. It really is. And so if it was not for the Lord mercifully, mercifully subduing our stubborn hearts and regenerating us, we would not have chosen him. And I like, you know, the, the fact that um, God reveals his goodness, he reveals his name, and he reveals his sovereignty. Because think about it, if God was only good, how would he practice his election? Because his election would be restricted, because he would not be in control of it. But he would also be a very permissive God who allows sin sin to just go on and on and on and he would not punish sin. But if we had a God that was sovereign and was not good, what kind of a God was he going to be? He was going to be a cold God. A God that we would not be able to approach. And the sovereignty of God has become so sweet because it is paternal. It is the Father, the Father working all things for the good of his children. So I can trust him. I can trust him. I can trust him to subdue my, my sinful heart. I can trust him to, to win me over to his side. 
as it were. So God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So we see here that the glory of God is revealed in the fact that God is sovereign. There are no restrictions or constraints on his decision. We would not have chosen him on our own. We needed to have our hearts awakened to his word by his spirit. And we're happy that God is sovereign. He's chosen you and I. He's chosen you and I. The last thing that I want us to look at before we close is the divine or the gracious concealment. So he says, please show me your glory, 18. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim you, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So we see here that God reveals something of himself. He reveals his goodness. He reveals his name. He reveals um, his sovereignty. But he chooses to conceal some part of, it, a part, of it, a part of his. He chooses to conceal his face because he says, no one can see my face and, and, and live. You see, God is merciful. God knows what we can handle. God knows what we can handle. Many of you sitting here are parents, and what you normally do with your babies is you don't talk to them the way I'm talking to you right now because they may not understand because they're not at the level at which they could comprehend this kind of language. So you speak baby language. You speak baby language so that there will be some communication and some understanding. So that's what God does. He reveals himself and he hides, he conceals a part of his that he knows would strike us dead, would strike us dead. If we were to see that, if we were to see that, if we were to witness that with our bare eyes, we'd be struck dead. He knows that. We see the mercy of God there. We see the the mercy of God. And we see that the, 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 the presence of God, the glory of God has got to be mediated. You know, it's got to be mediated. God has got to, by himself, do certain things, hide certain parts of him. He does the hiding because he knows we will not be able to handle that kind of glory. And where do we see that? In scripture, in the New Testament, we see that the presence of God is mediated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He comes as man like you and I. He lives a perfect life. He experiences 
um, all the, 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 the difficulties and the sin and the troubles and the persecution. He experiences all these things, and yet he does not sin. But he's the mediator. He's the one that reveals God. He can reveal God in a way that we can handle and understand. And that's the mercy of God. Because if he were to reveal himself totally, none of us would survive. You see, we need a mediator. We need a mediator. You and I need a mediator. Jesus Christ is he. He's the one that hides us, hides us in the cleft of his wounds so that we can cry out to God, show me the glory, show me the glory. And God does want to show us his glory. And my prayer is that in 2022, your biggest, your biggest pursuit, the passion of your heart will be the pursuit of the glory of God.